Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome, one and all, to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. This is the Ben Man, and with me as usual is... Andrew. Nice. That's it. <laughs> That's the name for this it's week. One, it's one of those one of those weeks. The heat's so, getting to me, Ben. The Andrew Knight is with us. I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, I've probably done that before. You probably have, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Let us know in the comments section which one. Homework for our uh, our fan. <laughs> Dig into the backlog. I wonder if there's somebody that keeping track of the trivia for the show. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, for those who uh, didn't guess already, yes, we are going into the concept art for The Dark Knight since we covered Batman Begins last week. Anyway, since uh, Nolan is coming back with Oppenheimer, and, uh, yeah, we're just continuing the uh, concept art train since we finished with the 90s Batman stuff, and we even did Man of Steel, but we hadn't revisited the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. So, okay, uh, we have stuff pulled up by Dan here, thanks to the art and making of the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, and uh, we can already see a couple things that are unique to the Dark Knight. The first one at the top left is uh, looks like a grapnel gun design for Batman Begins, a close-up version of what we talked about last week. Okay. So, uh, kind of like what I was talking about where the, uh, the front cylinder looked a little different. Uh, but everything else seems to be from the Dark Knight. So we've got version of the Batpod as well as what looks like a, some art or concept art of the uh, what holds the suit in the Bat Bunker. So uh, that's kind of a nice introduction to uh, what we've got going on. But yeah, we will be diving through a lot of the other uh, parts of the Dark Knight uh, concept art. Specifically, um, there's some Gotham City stuff, but uh, there's the Dark Knight suit itself and, of course, the Joker, who's the star of the show here, of course. So uh, we'll be diving into that. And then the second half will be a little bit more towards like different locales or concept arts for specific scenes uh, that come up, some of which look a little different from what we saw in the movie. Uh, but uh, like we talked about last time, a lot of the Nolan concept art stuff or the concept art done for the Nolan movies is not too far off from uh, what we got in the actual movie, but we did try to uh, find a few things that are a little different in there that'd be interesting to go over. So here we go. Cool. Sounds good. Gotham City. To be honest, I was a little surprised there was even con- there was even concept art for Gotham City considering that it's, you know, it's so famously shot on location in Chicago, but it looks like there's some of it here, and you can kind of see it in the, you know, a little bit towards the right center, but um, it looks as if you can kind of see the monorail from Batman Begins. 
So, yeah, we've got the monorail over here and uh, some of the buildings that we got, but you kind of see the monorail a little more closely in this other panoramic shot. Uh, you kind of see it a little bit in the center as well as on the right here. Um, and I, I wish there was more of it. I know um, we had a comment saying that you can kind of see it in, the, in some of the shots in The Dark Knight, but, uh, you know, for something that was such a big set piece and begins, it would have been cool if there was a little more of it in the other two movies. It's interesting. These... Well, I guess no. He did like dust, maybe dust dawn and night here. I guess I don't know. That's that's kind of yeah, cool. Kinda look like that, yeah. And then they've, yeah. It's just like you want me to draw Chicago. All right, <laughs> I'm sure. That's yeah. how it went down. Usually <laughs> Chicago with a monorail in the middle of it. That okay. doesn't show up much in the final movie. But all right, got it. That's what we got. So that's what we got for Gotham, and then the other locale that we've got here, of course, is the Bat Bunker which, you know, we're not fans of, but it is pretty close to what we got in the movie anyway with the, uh, the big lighting, the lit-up ceiling, uh, the uh, bat suit container that kind of rises up from the floor, uh, the bat computer, and uh, we see the tumbler here. This looks exactly like what we got, really, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like This looks so, like a set photo, not, a co- not concept design. Indeed, yeah. So it could be that they already knew what... Um, I mean, it's a combination of stuff, because isn't this, isn't this like an actual location? They film a bunch of music videos yes, in this garage. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like they kind of knew already what, what it was, and so they sort of mocked up what everything else was going to be. Tumblr was already in the previous movie, right? So it's, then it was kind of just about the back computer and the suit. This location is in L.A., right? Not Chicago? I think so, yeah. Right? Actually. This is one of the few times we're in L.A. for the movie? I haven't tried to uh, seek it out, but... I think <laughs> it is. Not to know about that location <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> I've sought out the Batman 66 Bat Cave or the Bronson Cave. I've, I've well, that's different. There. But because uh, that's an actual cave. But this one, I'm like, eh, you probably. I'd have to look it up, actually. Let us know in the comments section. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's downtown LA, but I'm, I could be wrong. We could yeah. Google it, but I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> on air so <laughs> it's it's probably one that you have to like reserve time in too you can't just like walk in oh yeah for sure yeah this is a shooting location now so yeah definitely yeah so yeah this is uh this is the concept art for the bat cave or the bat bunker really uh which we rated as the goose egg among the bat caves in the uh, in our ranking of the bat caves uh and stuff but uh, we know it's not really supposed to be the bat cave it's his temporary housing uh until way manor is rebuilt in these movies so, uh, moving further, one of the major components that got changed for this movie was, of course, the bat suit. Uh, and so we kind of have a preliminary sketch here, which is close again to what we ended up getting. Uh, so, Dan had some notes here based off of what was in the art and the making of the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, saying that the suit is called for the molding and casting of more than 100 individual sections. So, like wow. you see these little, uh, you know, segments here. Uh, compared to the simpler silicone and neoprene uh, or neoprene batsuit from the previous film. Batsuit was designed for the Dark Knight based off real-life body armor and constructed atop an underlayer of mesh, which we can see, you know, in between the segments, that made it more flexible and breathable than the original version. Though I would also argue it gives them a million different pieces of vulnerability, but that's kind of what they went with. They wanted uh, flexibility, maybe, I guess. Mm -hmm. He wanted to turn his head. I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy that there's like a hundred molds for mm-hmm. this suit because I've seen this process up close with 
mm-hmm. you know, other movies, and mm-hmm. it, I I've never seen it with like that with like a hundred for a chess piece or something. Yeah, that's just wild to me. I guess it's all those individual little armor pieces that they just sew on to armor or something and to under armor, but it's 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 crazy, man. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's because of when we look at it, it makes a lot of sense. You wouldn't think about it too much until like when it's brought up. I'm like, oh, that does. You would have to do all that, but yeah, it's a mm-hmm. lot of it's more trouble than what it was worth, in my opinion. But it did create the effect that they wanted, so more power to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go into uh, some of the other stuff. So here's kind of what it is without the cape. Uh, you can still kind of tell though that that's the Begins cowl. They took a picture yeah. from the Begins. Uh, the begins promo and kind of pasted that on to what the mock-up was for everything else on here. Uh, so we've got this and more of a full-body look here. Uh, ass area looks kind of weird, got to admit. <laughs> well, you know, I <laughs> honestly let that slide. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see much of it anyway because of the cape. Yeah. So I think that's, that's what they figured. Don't think it's that. I wouldn't focus on it too much. <laughs> But, yeah, it's pretty close to what we got. And uh, let's do one more here. Again, another Begins Cal promo pick over here. But other yeah, than that... It looks like pretty much what we got. This must be pretty yeah. late in the game mm-hmm. concept art. Yeah, you know? I mean, look, they clearly knew what they were looking for from the yeah. beginning on this. Yeah. Uh, so that's... It, it's kind of why a lot of the stuff, when we look at it in the concept art stuff, it's, it's like, well, it's they did it. <laughs> it's what it was. And I, I think it's... It's, it's from Nolan onwards, it kind of feels like that. You know, like in the, in the 90s, we kind of saw some insane, insane shit with like all the different concepts they had uh, yeah. for how things would look. And now it's it's more or less close. But I think really when we get to the Joker, we can kind of see uh, the differences or the sort of like brainstorming that went on. Uh, but until then, we kind of have two different looks at the back uh, of the bat suit. Kind of this... Almost looks like extra spine armor on the one on the left. It's right kind of cool, actually, but I mean, I, I guess they need it if, especially if the cape is going to cover that part of it. But it just seems like not an afterthought, but almost an afterthought. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the back of the suit. I'm not sure which one they went with. I'd have right? to look at the suit. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure what this it. looks like behind it. Hmm. They're both fine. Yeah. Yeah. They both work for what it is. And then here's kind of the uh, the thing that's on his back, the folded cape, you know, at, oh, in yeah. the Hong Kong sequence and how yeah. that would look. Uh, where it kind of looks like a backpack until he jumps off. Yeah, yeah. So that pretty much is how it is over there. Uh, and then more concept art over here. That was that. one of the first times you see Batman operate outside of Gotham in a movie, right? In live action. I think that's, in the, live action. Uh, that's the very first time. Because when he's traveling in the previous movie, he's still Bruce Wayne. He's not Batman yet. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of that's also the influence of, like, the, uh, you know, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams era where he's, like, traveling around. Um, some of that is yeah. because of, you know, Rosal Ghoul, But uh, some of that is just, you know, Bruce Wayne's a, you know, he's a successful businessman and celebrity. So naturally, he's like going around to different uh, sections of the Wayne Foundation in different areas of the world. And so it, it makes sense. And that's kind of exactly how they gave him um, an excuse to be there with all the dealings between uh, Wayne Enterprises and Lau. Over there. I, still, I still think like that if they wanted the more content for Max, right? Do the Bruce Wayne, the legend continues. Like that section of Batman Begins made mm-hmm. into a series. Mm-hmm. Like every episode... 
or a season or I don't know. Like he just you see him go through his different senseis before he's Batman. I know it's like a Gotham type idea once again. But yes, but it'd be around the world as opposed to inside Gotham City. Yeah, it would be like it would definitely be like a prequel series that would be him traveling mostly through Asia, mm-hmm. uh, which would be fucking sick. Uh, but it would be. You know, um, you could do that with the DCU, you know, different temples and shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Brave and the Bold is set so far into his career with Damien that like, I imagine there probably wouldn't need to be a ton of like crossover that much in the timeline. You can still get a young actor, a much younger actor to play young Bruce. Right. And then you have the mentor figures who probably aren't going to play much of a role when Damien's, you know, Robin. So you could do it and have it in the same continuity. The only person who kind of be this have to be the same is Alfred. Right. Yeah. I. I mean, just I just you don't think really like need him that much. Like Gotham was a fine idea, but for for my money, I'd love to see this show more. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd you be know? great. And Gotham sort of leaves off uh, in like the beginning of the finale with Bruce yeah. about to start off going around the world. So it's like it, it was all the stuff exactly. leading up to this stuff. Exactly. You could make make it maybe bait make it maybe loosely based I don't know if, I don't know if I would connect it exactly to Gotham but if people want to put that in their head can and I think it'd be fine but mm-hmm. like I would make it definitely like the tone they shot in Batman Begins would be not a bad tone for like Nolan's type of tone mm-hmm. for for this for our show we're kind of cooking up right now just with the different mentors it's just like one of the coolest yeah, like the cool, like turn the training montage into a show, <laughs> and then traveling mm-hmm. through Asia with like Shaolin temples and ninja temples and all the fucking temples. To the, I guess there's a, you you would the problem part of the problem they would have to deal with is like not make it too too over romanticize the the Orient, <laughs> the Asia. But oh, I was thinking more of the fact that it could just get a little old if it's like one temple after another and the same, you know, more martial arts training could get old if they don't spice it up with different like storylines in the separate temples. Well, true. And plus they would need, I would say also to break it up, like find like the Batmobile driver teacher that wouldn't, that that could be somebody That'd like be in in France or whatever the fuck. Like it could be a different locale, mm-hmm. and then it would be like a born identity meets young Bruce kind of kind of thing. You know, I mean, this fucking shit writes itself. Are you kidding yeah. me? Come on. And there's also like the training to be a detective, which we've never really seen. We've all we've yes. seen so much, you know, already in these adaptations of him learning. All right, like here's how you learn ninjutsu. I'm like, okay, cool. But then like, what about like the actual Ducard? storyline where he's the one who taught him detective work or Harvey Harris or something. It would be so cool too. I know we've strayed from our topic, but this is a cool topic, cool side topic. I think that like it would show character moments too, because he's known to kind of self teach all the time. Like he kind of, he's uh you know, always teaching himself mm-hmm. uh, in his own study, you know, Bruce Wayne. But at what point does he feel like he can't, do this by himself he can't teach himself he does need a sensei or a teacher mm-hmm. and uh that would show like maybe some of his natural shortcomings more like sometimes they write in that he's not great with guns at least mm-hmm. at first you know like what are the, i don't know like what what was he not great at first with detective work 
but with this teacher he became fucking awesome at right. in preparation to be Batman, you know, like mm-hmm. what are the natural shortcomings that he gets over to become the bat? You know, I think mm-hmm. all that shit's great. It's a, it would be a great show. Yeah. Yeah. Mindset stuff too, you know. Right. Like training right. the mind, uh the the fortitude, yes. you know, the the spirit of the bat that uh, he's known for. Like that stuff that, you know, I wouldn't expect him to have the moment that his parents dropped in that alley. He would need to develop that. Yeah, yes, I think so. And, like, a little bit of martial arts fantasy thrown in there, you know, like mm-hmm. the being able to... I mean, dude, I mean, something must be going on with the Shaolin monks because they, they the Rage Against the Machine fucking cover, the guy sets himself on fire and doesn't mm-hmm. budge. Like, these... Yeah. At least some of these Shaolin monks have learned to really tap into the mind in ways that most people haven't because the proof mm-hmm. is in the fucking pudding when they set their fucking self on fire and fucking they they don't budge what this is the fucking superpower it's insane yeah they've learned there's something going on there dude but mm-hmm. i don't know what it is i haven't trained at the shaolin temple but I just, <laughs> neither have i i always wonder like you know what what have they unlocked in the brain you know mm-hmm. via their via the like eastern philosophy training and that that could be in the show, I think, as long as it doesn't, you know, go into anything that's problematic. But, but it would be cool exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, I you know I'd love to see that and stuff, and and you know, yeah. Nolan would definitely have been the one to pave the way in live action for that yeah. uh, that type of stuff. And uh, like we talked about before, the Dark Knight does kind of pave the way for uh, Batman being in another country, you know, in the yeah. suit and. Yeah. Uh, you know, picking somebody up to take them back to Gotham. So that's what we got here. Uh, and then a little bit more. And, of course, they had to do the concept art of him turning his head. He's looking up in the center <laughs> here. Uh, and the uh, the cowl itself, now that it's more attached, uh, or a little bit less of a Photoshop from the, the Begins cowl, we can kind of see the cowl look a little closer to how it's going to look uh, in the final film. So, okay. Uh, that's what we got. For the uh, the Dark Knight suit, I kind of wish that there was like other variations, obviously, because you know how I feel about the suit. But uh, it looks like you know they got what they wanted from the very beginning, which you know more power to them. It's funny because you you know it's one of the best Batman movies, but you know according to you, and I I don't disagree. Like it's the worst. <laughs> it's one of the worst it's Batman one of the worst suits. suits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although, dude, I you know. I know it's old hat, but like the sh- some of the Schumacher suits, the Batman and Robin ones, man. I, I think I probably think the the Dark Knight ones better than those. Yeah, but are we talking about the the uh, the Chrome one that Clooney's wearing at the end, or are we talking yeah, about that Chrome name? one? That one's the worse. Chrome one's definitely worse. But he's Bruce is in the Dark Knight suit for two full movies, as opposed to just the third act of one. I know, but we're just we're not talking about like how much has been in the movie. I'm just, I'm just talking, I know, I know. I'm just talking about the design, design aesthetics. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know. But I'm just saying I had to tolerate that shit for like maybe 15 minutes of Dark Knight. I mean, uh, the Batman, right. Batman and Robin as opposed to full movies. <laughs> at, so. least the, at least the Skechers shoe is encased in a good movie, though. Yes. So, so there is that. Call back to uh, check out the Dark Knight versus the comics series if you're wondering why he referenced Skechers. That's because oh, I yeah. call the suit the uh, the black tennis shoe. Black tennis shoe, yeah. Because it looks like a shoe to me. It it does. I, that, I I definitely see where you're coming from. The segmentation with the mesh 
behind it. And again, I'm just like, look, people are just like, well, it's functional. I'm just like, dude, he's more vulnerable than ever. He gets sweat out stabbed by Talia <laughs> right in the middle of those segments in the third one. Like, that's not he's functional always at all. St- he gets stabbed by fucking um, Catwoman and returns. That too, yeah. Always but at least, stab like, him. she found, like, it was less obvious where that vulnerability was. Here, it's just like, well, just look at him. Yeah. Just go right in between. You know what? That's another good argument for cloth over armor, because then you can't see where the mm-hmm. armor is breaking. Yeah, I agree. God damn it. That's another great idea. You would have to be very close and kind of feel it out or study where, you know, like see, where you, you know, study it for a while to see it through the cloth, mm-hmm. which is like already way too much for a two hour movie if you're doing that. So, like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, nobody's going to end up doing that. Yes. Time. So, yeah, that's another, that's another great great reason for that, actually. Let's call Muschetti. Let's put get him on the phone. The bold. Yeah. Get him on the phone. We know how to save Brave and the Bold. <laughs> you just call us. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously the next part we got to talk about is the Joker himself. Um, pictured here with the costume and some of the concept art behind her is Lindy Hemming, who did the costume design uh, for this movie. And uh, it says that... In the notes that Dan gathered, she wanted to avoid retro-dressing the villain. Retro-dressing as in, I guess, making him look outdated. Um, and instead, wanted to portray him as a, quote, young and very trendy guy. Interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that necessarily was what we thought of when we first saw the Joker. It's like, oh, he's a young, trendy guy. You ever this- seen the interview of Tom Waits on Australian TV? Yeah, the one that everyone cites as the, uh, the influence. It, dude, it must be. Usually, mm-hmm. I see videos like that. I'm like, you guys are pulling my leg. But that, but mm-hmm. this one, I, dude. And plus, it's Australian. You know, Heath Ledger, Australian. Like, it must have. There must be something going on there. And they were in uh, Heath Ledger's last movie together. Tom Waits is in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Of Heath there Ledger. you go. Maybe he met them. Met him like at, you know at the same time he was developing the, the character when yeah. he was in that Joker motel. You you know about that, right? Mm-hmm. He, he ran out of fucking room to damn near go crazy becoming the Joker, mm-hmm. keeping a Joker diary. I think he did that too. That's it's insane, man. Yeah, uh, and it also sounds like a lot of fun. It sounded like he had a lot of fun with that too, with uh, exploring because it was a lot of fun to be me had as an actor to explore different characters and stuff. And I know that he was drawing a lot from what we were seeing in the. Grant Morrison comics, and yeah. Um, yeah, it sounded like he really enjoyed it. Do you think that that role was so stressful that led to him worsening his drug habit? Just speculation here, guys. Speculation. I feel like that's exaggerated based okay, off of what he said and what people said how of how he was like on the set. Now, it could be if there was pressure, I think the pressure was more of like you're the Joker. You're the first live-action Joker since Jack fucking Nicholson. So you think that the, him playing the Joker had nothing to do with it, and it was completely just accidental? Well, I know it was that accidental, but there was like no ramp up or anything. No. You ever looked into this? I've looked into it enough to, based off of what people said and what he was saying. Now, mind you, it could just be a case where he's just really good at hiding his pain. But if there was pain there, I don't. I wouldn't associate it purely with him being method acting as the Joker so much as you know, what was going on in his life, you know, he was going, him and um, Michelle Williams, I believe, uh, were, like, on the outs. At one point, they had a daughter together. Like, to me, that's way more, if I'm in Heath Ledger's shoes, I can't speak for the guy, but, like, that's way more, uh, you know, of a dark place to be in than uh, playing the Joker. 
Okay, yeah. So, you know, to, like, this is going to be a little bit different, but maybe a little bit similar. So, there, I went to a Christian high school growing up, and this guy was playing Satan in a play mm-hmm. for a long time, like several months. And he's, I remember him saying it took a real toll on him and like made him feel real like darker all the time because, you know, he's playing fucking Satan. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever the news about Ledger came out, that's kind of what I thought of. I thought maybe, you know, Joker is a similar character to Satan in a lot of ways. And, uh, like, did that, like, upset his mental, his already fragile mental state more, worsen it? But you're saying no. Probably I don't think not. so, considering Probably now not. we've had so many different Jokers who, you know, things have been fine. That is true. You're right. It's uh, just so, also, it's also, go ahead, go ahead, go the, ahead. The go actor ahead. who played Satan, too, probably played Satan for a much longer period of time than Ledger played the Joker. Maybe, maybe. You know, because, like, this is... Yeah, like, this is a big movie, but, you know, he's not in every single scene. You yeah. know, he did have to shoot parts, and I'm sure, like, it wasn't, like, a short shoot, but yeah. the amount of time he had to play the Joker, like, actually be on and stuff is probably a less period of time than, than the guy you're talking about. Okay. Okay. I was just, you know, the media kind of spun it that way, too, and all that. And it just sucks, because Ledger would have rivaled Brad Pitt and every anybody out there. You know, if oh, yeah. he had stayed, stayed alive mm-hmm. longer, he was skyrocketing, you yeah. know, I just, anyway. I just think that it's a lot of media spin on a character who, you know, has been played fine, you know, by everyone else. That's true. Like why, right. why Ledger specifically? Like, if, like if anything, when I, when I hear that, it, it's kind of spun up to make it seem like the Joker is like this curse, but to me, it kind of seems almost, there's nothing against you, Andrew, but it almost seems a little bit insulting to Ledger to me Uh because i'm just like well then it makes it sound like he's so fragile he couldn't handle it i'm like "Mm, i don't know how i feel about that like i don't don't think that's actually what happened i think it's a i mean he probably had some sort he had some prescription drugs i look i don't know i'm talking way out of my ass he he did die from the accidental overdose of the pills but again i would say like so much that probably had to do with what was going on in his personal life not because of the role right 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 he That's just happened true. to play this role. And again, like he was done with the role when he died. He was on the Terry Gilliam movie. That's true. Where he was also playing a villain. So if anything, you could say that it was that role. Because the character he played in Dr. Parnassus is not a good guy either. The guy I the never... character he plays in, in Parnassus is like a con artist dude. And, you know, also has... It's been a while since I've seen it. But he's definitely not a good guy in that one. I never saw that. I just heard he was going to change because they had to, but you know, the yeah. changing of the roles and all that, it seemed mm-hmm. like kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say that a lot of the stuff, like if there's pressure for that role, it was probably like, Hey, you're the first Joker since Jack Nicholson. Don't fuck it up. Like, I think that was probably right. it and combined with that, but I don't think it was like, Oh, it was such a dark headspace. Cause I'm just like, most of this shit was in the script. You know, I like, get it. That stuff I, was I, there. I guess if just after all these years, I'm still sort of unpacking his death. I never, mm-hmm. but th- at the same time, I probably haven't done as much research as you have <laughs> into it, but I still think about it from time to time. Look, there probably still might be some sides of the story I haven't heard yet. Like, maybe some yeah. people in the comment section are going to be like, no, you're wrong, and people were saying he was this disturbed and that, but, you know, 
you know, if if that's the case, then that's the case, and I'll I'll correct it later. But from yeah, from yeah, what yeah. I've heard, you know, you got Michael J. White on set saying how like great it was to work with him, and how he you know he wasn't in character the whole time. You know, he was back to being Heath when the when the cameras turned off and stuff. And yeah, he kind of showed up. He still showed up for like the days to um, the days where he wouldn't be on camera so that people could react to him. Uh, which sounds great, but that sounded more like he was doing that as a dedicated actor, not because he was so into the role that like he couldn't get out of it. Right, right. Like right, that was right. what he was doing as a favor to the other actors, so that he could get a better performance out of everybody, not because you know he couldn't escape this role, which is I feel like a lot of media spin. I think it the, part of that is the sensitive artist stereotype. Yeah. I think so too. That's people think. Well, he's an he's an amazing actor, but a lot of amazing actors and artists of any stripe mm-hmm. are very sensitive people, and this brought him into such a negative headspace. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was kind of the spin, and then on the media spin on top of me seeing my friend talk about that in high school, uh, with you know, I just had all these things in my head. Well, you're not the only one, you know. There's yeah. a lot of people who feel like convinced that this is the role that killed him, but I'm kind of like, well, why is it this one time that this person plays it? Like, I get it. It's it's a very, you know, it's a unique version of Joker, but, yeah. like, it's a version of Joker that I don't think is, like, it's scary for the movie, but it's not, like, so fucking disturbing that, like, I could see that happen, you know? Like, Hannibal right. Lecter is still more disturbing. You know, a lot of the right, even like right, right. actual serial killers people have played are actually disturbing. Like Ledger's Joker is scary, but also really, really fun at the same time. Right, right. So I'm like, yeah, I just I, I'm personally not convinced. But again, let us know in the comments if you know I'm just talking out of my ass on this. But that's personally what I I've found. No, nah, you're probably it. right. I just <laughs> like thinking about it. So uh, let's look into influences on this Joker then. Uh, so we, again, there's a lot of stuff that's similar when we look at the concept art, but Joker might be the one where, like, we see different stuff. Still with the DNA of what we would, we would get, but of different stuff. So first off, let's look at some of the um, early sketches Ooh. and influences. So this is one that kind of looks a little close to what we would end up doing. You kind of see a little bit of Heath um, in there. You've got the long, curly hair. You've got the... Um, it's kind of hard to tell if there's scars there, but you can definitely tell like the the red lips extend past the uh, the lips themselves. Uh, the teeth look kind of dirty. You know, you've got kind of the black <laughs> around the eyes, uh, but the the costume is slightly different too. Notice he's got this big green scarf. Yeah, um, yeah. could even be a could even be an ascot or a this cravat. Is so, yes, cravat. He's so twisted, man. In this, this is a mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. I like this one. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, yeah. Let's see. The next one, though, is a shot that uh, Dan got. Uh, I think this is from the the art and making of the Dark Knight trilogy of the influences. So we have pictures of Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols, who has been like obviously somebody did the red lips on him on the picture on the bottom left, uh, as well as completely Jokerized him um, in the center there. This is cool. Yeah, I didn't know they did this with Johnny Rotten, uh, but I can actually kind of see see this now. So we had punk rock Joker, and then we mm-hmm. had grunge Batman with Pattinson. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's that's cool. true. So yeah, this is the uh, I guess the underrated or under uh, underappreciated music influences on <laughs> on this franchise, right? With with the stuff. That's because awesome, man. You've got yeah, you've got this uh, this punk look 
for this that they were going for. Uh, so that's that's mainly the photographs we see here. But on the top left, we kind of we see what looks like a painting. Now this painting, we have a close up here. This is from Francis Bacon, uh, and it's called uh, Velasquez's Portrait of Pope uh, Pope Innocent X from 1953. And apparently, this was what they um, used to quote unquote find a common language for defining the Joker. Uh, the art of Francis Bacon was also kind of cited by Heath Ledger as well. And Batman fans should be familiar with Francis Bacon, because Bacon also did the painting Figure with Meat, which is the, the same painting that uh, Joker saves from Bob's knife in Batman 89. So, <laughs> I like Joker like Francis or, Bacon. What does he say? Yeah. I kind of like this one, Bob. Yeah, Leave yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so. man. Joker remember, liking Francis as a Bacon kid, I was like, there. he likes that painting because that painting is also evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's every every kid watching this was thinking the same thing. That's pretty that, much the main meaning. That painting is evil. But, dude, that <laughs> painting by about Pope Innocent is actually pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. Uh, you know, very evil looking. Um, this is getting more into heavy metal, honestly, uh, and leaving punk. But, I mean, it's, it's cool to see you know, how they're trying to communicate visual styles, you know, cause you can say it with a million words all you want, but mm-hmm. just show them a fucking painting. You know, I think it's, um, it's cool. This is, I never, I've never actually, I didn't know this. So this is really cool. It's a great tidbit. You know, it's a great connection to 89 as well. Probably not yeah. intentional to 89, but, uh, still. Yeah. Moving further. We got some more, these are more full body versions of what we saw earlier. Of, uh, of the Joker, now in different uh, different outfits. We got one with a green vest and pinstriped uh, pants on the on the left. And then we carry over the pinstriped pants to the one on the right, but that's the one with the uh, the green cravat. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool. Pretty stuff. close. Yeah, pretty, pretty close. Closer. I think the, 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 uh, the black around the eyes isn't as prominent in these. It's oh, like it's yeah. not as evident that he's got those raccoon eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now these ones, these ones look closer to Heath in terms of Heath, the individual, not him in the movie. Uh, you can kind of see it in his face a little more, but they're playing around with like different concepts. So the hair's completely different. It's all spiky. Again, we're going back to the Johnny Rotten influence. Yeah, punk, punk. Um, uh, you know, let's see, punk Joker. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't really see a scarred smile. It looks like they've got, especially the one on the right, we got something that looks like it's kind of foreshadowing of what we would get with Joaquin Phoenix with sort of the eye makeup being like the triangles under the uh, under the eyes and sort of the red nose to kind of be like the uh, the clown red nose, which is a right. cool concept, I think. I, I think if you're going to play around with the Joker's look, adding different clown elements is still something that's, you know, a valid take. It is. It is actually, yeah. And what would be, what we, you know, the nose would, could be something, um, you know, dangerous too. I don't know what it would be, but... You know, like all of this clown shit is like uh, uh, has some sort of killer thing behind it, like the like the flower the, the with the acid that spits mm-hmm. out of it. I don't know what it would be because it's on his fucking face, but uh, it could be something. If it's like a removable one, then that could be like some sort of like grenade thing. Yeah, and he's just wearing a grenade on his face because he's an insane mm-hmm. person. The edge lords will say that it's blood. <laughs> He dipped his nose in blood, but yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Something about this kind of thing reminds me of like the Lost Boys too. I don't know what it a is. A little bit, yeah. He kind of looks right? like Kiefer Sutherland in the Lost Boys. Yeah, right. And that the was big a jacket, little jacket, spiked hair. Because P- 
punk 80s and they weren't really punk in that they were more like what was that look just 80s rocker look yeah glam metal <clears throat> he, also he doesn't have a uh, like the suit tie type of look on the one on the right he's kind of got like a, just a green sweater there which I yeah. think is interesting um, they still John- went with a more traditional suit type thing in the final film Johnny Rotten's a great great pull though for sure mm-hmm. Because that's all about, you know, chaos and shit. So, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, and then we can kind of see the uh, the knife, a big knife that he's carrying on the one on the right. That's awesome. So I like these. Yeah, I like these a lot. Yeah. Uh, this is a digital concept art of Joker walking away from the hospital explosion, but it's a little interesting because of the fact that this is kind of Heath without the clown makeup. But I think if you zoom in a little more, it's kind of hard to tell. But I'm pretty sure he still has the scars there. I don't think there's anything that was like how the scene was supposed to look. I think they're just kind of seeing, okay, is Joker walking out of a hospital explosion? Let's see how it looks like. And, uh, you know, before they did, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have any concept art for nurse Joker, guys. I just have regular Joker. But this is the closest we got. That was one of the best get-ups, dude. You know? Yeah. Let me see. This is also in the uh, the Dark Knight production art and shooting script book, which I had. I got uh, that uh, that summer of the movie because I felt like I had to. And uh, let me see if I can find that specific shot in there as well because it might it'll give me a closer look at the scars. But it's uh, it's interesting to see the uh, this sort of type of digital art where it's like it's a combination of photographs, but clearly you know has been messed around with. You know they put Heath in like some of the makeup tests it looks like uh, in this photo on top of like the body of the purple suit walking out it wasn't like it's like it in the corner as well in that last one like the the like yeah the the hospital's kind of going in a corner behind them yeah what they what they shot was a little bit more head-on which is the right move yeah in a different building i think or maybe this is based off the building just from a different angle possibly yeah. But they he really did blow up like a building, right? Because it wasn't CG, right? Yeah, so just like how we were joking last week about how, um, you know, <laughs> Nolan's just setting off nuclear bombs for Oppenheimer because there's no CG. <laughs> um, yeah, Unbelievable, he, dude. Heath Ledger actually was blowing up a hospital that he was walking out of. And uh, there was a delay. Apparently, this, the, the real story is that there was a delay in the, uh, the follow-up explosion. So Heath had to kind of... You know, Heath and, and I think Nolan came up with the whole thing of, like, it doesn't work, and he's just, like, you know, moving his hands around and stuff until it does and that stuff. So, like, that's – which is a great shot. It's another it's another part that adds so much to the performance. Incredible, dude. And, you know, Morrison talks about, like, whenever he wrote Arkham Asylum, it was one of the first times the Joker ever cross-dressed, or maybe the first. Cause yeah, because he's, he's wearing... got the high heels. Yeah, High heels and Madonna pointy boobs or no? He uh, that's he wanted to put that in, but they didn't. They didn't. Oh, put right. That in the the final comic. Okay. Yes, but uh, and then he said he felt a little vindicated seeing him seeing Nurse Joker in the Dark Knight. Mm, yeah, I'd forgotten about that too. Yeah, I need to look back at uh, the the Arkham. I have the like anniversary edition of Arkham Asylum, a serious house, serious Earth. With uh, yeah, it's got the pencils of uh, Joker wearing the Madonna outfit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah. That's like the closest thing. That's that what I'm thinking that of at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No. Oh, good callback. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, this is another one that people have called the Elijah Wood Joker, 
because it kind of <laughs> looks like that. Uh, but I think it's supposed to be. Now I'm looking at it. It almost looks like it's. Okay, now I know what this is. I think they photoshopped the face of Ichi the Killer and put oh, it on really? that. That's because if you if you cover it up, if you look purely at the eyes down to the chin, you can kind of see that it could just be that they put the guy's face there. I actually have never seen Ichi the Killer, but I've heard it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I've I've heard it's like insane, uh, and I would I'd like to see it. I just haven't gotten around to it just yet. Same here. Let us know in the comments if you guys recommend it. But uh, yeah, I know I know people were were pointing to that one too when they're just like they got scars and like the first promo picture of Ledger two was like that close up of his face with the scars and he looked like yeah he, he had like pasta sauce <laughs> smeared on his on his <laughs> lips was kind of the joke in, among some of the fans I remember online but. Uh, yeah, the, it's a similar type of like close up, like extreme close up shot on his face. So I think that might be where the face comes from on this Joker. Um, so again, like it's more the scars are a little bit more emphasized. The scars a little bit less of the red paint, a little bit less of the black uh, paint around the eyes, and the hair is all different now. Again, going back to the Johnny Rotten influence, I think before yeah. they decided on the long curly hair, more punk rock kind of hair for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's got the full purple suit here as opposed to in the movie where he's in the vest at this point right uh and then we've got these are creepy as fuck uh, yeah so these yeah are from, these are from rob bliss and we're looking at ones where you can't even see his eyes and these they're like hollow these this looks like something out of a horror movie just with like joker hair on the top two dude honestly i would prefer this look over the batman joker like the severe kind of scarring i would pref- this whole look is better than that than the look we had in, in pattinson one no offense to anybody that might be might have worked in that movie but <laughs> i think of a lot of the fans uh at least our fans would agree on that because i mean look, yeah. i'm not in general i'm not a fan of the scarred joker look in like just across the board uh but i do think ledger's final look in the movie is way better than what Barry Keown's wearing in that scene from the Batman that got deleted. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I'm just like, well, if you are going to have scarring, the less scarring, the better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I prefer, yeah, I would prefer this. I think some people did point back to this when that scene got uh, released, you know, online with, with the Joker and Arkham and stuff. It's like, oh, it's yeah. kind of like this. I'm just like, eh, kind of, except even more fucked up <laughs> than what was in this, uh, this concept art from Rob Bliss. Yeah, that one, like, had like warts or whatever, didn't it? Like this, this yeah, one is all... just like, you know, scars. It's, it's just the bit, mouth. Yeah. It's just the mouth. But, you know, this is so scary. This, there's no way this could be funny, mm-hmm. right? Like the Joker needs to kind of walk that line of yeah. funny and scary. And this guy is just straight up fucking scary as shit, which yeah. it looks, it looks fucking awesome, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. If this was a it's horror tough. movie villain, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But yeah. as the Joker, um, again, like my, when I saw the design for this, my big fear going into this was just like, oh, they went all edgelord Joker and shit. And it's all going to be about him. Like, you know, he's only really going to be laughing about the suffering of others as he's going to do fucked up shit. And then, like, it was such a refreshing thing actually sitting in the theater and being able to laugh. And kind of be feeling a little guilty about laughing because it was kind of fucked up. You know, all the stuff about, like, the magic trick with a pencil. And then he's like, ta-da, uh, and you, you laugh. Love that but, you know, scene. He's, love he's, that he's scene. Perfect Joker, right? Because it's like, you laugh, but you think, hey, you know you're kind of fucked up, too, for laughing because a guy just got a pencil through the <laughs> eye. You know, you think you can just walk perfect. in here and steal all of our money? Yeah. 
Yes. You know, just the way he, the way he even says yeah in that in that scene. Yeah. Oh, dude, so it good. Is, it is an underrated part of uh, performance that's universally praised is the humor, you know, the comedic timing of that. I think they learned in some ways learned the wrong lessons from uh from this one with with the Jared Leto version and, you know, I know Barry Keown only had like one or two scenes in the Batman, yeah, but yeah, like they're, they're yeah. kind of emphasizing like, oh, he's a freak, he's scary, but you know, Leto was never really funny, and neither was Keown. You know, they, they just tried to go more into like the freak, scary stuff. But like, the reason why Ledger is so great to me is because of that balance of the scary and the oh, funny. Oh yes, definitely. And, it's the uh, it's the role of a lifetime. It yeah. was so we were we were witnessing absolute greatness on screen. It's no wonder he overshadowed Batman. It was just, yeah, you can't help it. You can't help it with something like that. It was so incredible. Uh, I remember just feeling in the theater, especially the first time out of four times I saw it, was, uh, was I, I was just like, I haven't gotten that feeling too much in the theater where it's like, it's like the, the Cracker Jack feeling of a great ending, but like just from a performance alone, just like mm-hmm. on the edge of my seat, just because of how juicy his his evilness is it was great i yeah. i loved the joker in this movie man and yeah, oh, yeah you absolutely you're right you're absolutely right that you need the humor mixed in with the horrible i think that's what makes it even more effective too from like a personal audience standpoint because like he makes you laugh and you laugh at kind of some of the fucked up things and then when he starts talking about the dark side and how easy it is to go to the dark side you'll feel that because he's already brought that out of you in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, Joker's the ultimate nihilist, right? He's, uh, nothing matters anymore, so why do, why not just laugh at it? You right. know, I think that's the the ultimate underpinning there, at least in the modern incarnation of the Joker. Mm-hmm. And um, it does seem like he does hint at being, like, the ultimate nihilist in the Dark Knight. And, right. And, uh you know, burning money, et cetera. And what he says to fucking two face, um, you know, no one bats an eye, you know, all the, all, almost all of his lines. It's just, mm-hmm. just really great. You know? Yeah. Uh, so we have a close up look. I mean, not close up, but like a more full bodied look on one of the jokers, uh, there, this one. Now they, they colored the hair green. Notice that it's not really green looking in the one on the, the, uh, bottom left, but now it's green. Um, oh, this right. One, yeah. Put it on there. Again, I like what they got in the movie, final movie, better because this is a little bit too horror movie stuff. I mean, yeah, still nothing compared to the one in the Batman, but still, it's yeah, uh, it's, they're experimenting with stuff. But I am glad that they preserve the purple suit because I could easily imagine a version of this where he's just in like a black suit and stuff to make it even more edge lord and, and dark. And it's just, you know, it's a blessing that they they had, you know, they stayed true to what they could with the with the humor as well as the purple suit. And the, just the colors, because oh, yeah. they could have they could have fucked around with that too. They could have. I I think, you know, they could be thinking too. I mean, a they're trying to wrap their head around it. They don't know what he's going to look like in the concept design phase, right? It's what they're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. And like, they might even. It's possible. It, it, at least I'll say this: it's possible that they knew they weren't going to go with this exactly, but mm-hmm. they wanted to see. They wanted to see if you what would happen if you dialed up menacing all the way, right? And then. Maybe we'll take some elements from that and put it into a scene where he does need to be scary and not funny. Mm-hmm. Or, or a moment in a scene where it needs to be scary and not funny. You know what I mean? Right. At least we've seen this dial pushed all this way, mm-hmm. and then we'll 
you know, take what we think is best from that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the thinking process behind a lot of this. Yeah, definitely. And then this last shot before we go to the break is the interrogation scene where things look a little different, you know? Um, clearly <laughs> yeah. it's clearly the, it's art, you know, and not the photograph from the thing. Bale's, again, Batman Cal is from Begins here placed on the uh, the art version of the, uh, the Dark Knight suit. And then, you know, Joker is in the full purple getup. And here, it looks like he's wearing a bow tie uh, as well on that. But they, they have, like, it doesn't quite look like how he looks like in the movie, but he looks close enough. You've got the long green hair. You've got the black around the eyes. You've got the, you know, the red lips that extend past and have the scars on there. He just kind of has a, uh, he has an expression on his face that we didn't get to see in the movie <laughs> during all this. He's just... Much more classic looking. Yeah. Didn't Nolan say this is his favorite scene in the movie? I, uh, I wouldn't himself. have been surprised. I wouldn't yeah. have been surprised if he did. I, I don't remember. I think that's probably right, though. It's an excellent scene. It's one of my favorites as well in the whole movie. It's definitely the one where, like, uh, there are moments where people, like, in the theater for a movie like this where people kind of just all, you can just tell everyone's collectively paying attention. <laughs> like, nobody's, like... <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> we just glued us a motherfucker, dude. Whenever Joker was on screen in this movie, you could tell, like, everyone was just wrapped uh, into the movie. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think, yeah, the... I mean, the, there's probably other... There's other times where I've, I've felt that over, over the years, but I, I think sometimes sometimes the closest sometimes I feel to that would be the crazy ass Tom Cruise stunts. And maybe that's because mission impossible just came out, but like I could feel the whole theater. This is not a spoiler. Cause it's in the trailer. But I could feel the whole theater just like stare and gasp collectively when he jumps off on the motorcycle. Oh yeah. One. I saw that like two or three days ago. Yeah. It's uh, I felt the same way. I, this was a little bit, maybe even more so though, just because of, yeah, it's just a full because scene. of Ledger's, Ledger's performance yeah. and and like it's just it's one on one man. I know there's people just watching on the other side of the glass, but mm-hmm. just really cool like one on one interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. And like you know, again the lines like never hit him on the head. It makes him all fuzzy, you know, or whatever he says there. It's it's mm-hmm. so great. I think it's also like it's like what you were saying too, where it's a scene, it's a performance, it's not a stunt. You know, like the the big yes, special effects. Yes is Heath Ledger. <laughs> like, he is the effect. He is the thing that is, like, drawing you in, that's making you gasp. And that's what makes it so cool. I'm going to really read into something in this. I'm going to make a mountain out of a molehill real quick. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so, he says, you're going to break your one rule or whatever, right, in this mm-hmm. scene? There is no fucking scene that sets up. There's nothing that we have seen that shows joker learning about batman's rules they never mentioned a no kill rule too much in the in this trilogy at all i think and like it's but but i don't think it's an error too much because it makes me think again i'm making a mountain out of a molehill here but it makes me think it shows just how much in sync the joker is with batman (laughs) you know like he just fucking knows him on a on a level like, how does he know all this shit? Well, well, he just a, knows. There is a caveat to this, though, because, like, early in the movie, Maroney does tell Batman, everyone knows you're not going to kill me. Okay, so he does say that. So Maroney probably told Joker. Yeah, or at least the criminals have, there's a reputation among the criminals. Right, that, like, right, that's true. Hospital, that's true, that's true, that's true. the morgue, and so, like, Joker gleans from that, just like Maroney has presumably right. gleaned from that, that okay. Batman's not going to kill. 
okay, I'm, I was <laughs> thought deeply about something that was that was wrong, but okay, I never thought about that that way. But I never, I never connected those dots. To me, that was the explanation. Yeah. You know, no, that, that you're right, you're right. That is the explanation. I just, I didn't make that connection, so I just thought that he was in sync with Batman psych- psychically, somehow. You know, not trying to be meta- not trying to be, you know. Yeah, but supernatural. He does, or anything. I, I get it though. He does come off like almost a supernatural force of nature in terms of how he's able to make things happen so well. You know, right, right, right. You know, there's there's been kind of a debate on the whole like, jo- oh, Joker says he doesn't plan anything, and I'm just like, he doesn't plan anything. Did you see how this whole thing worked? Like how this came right. together? Was that just right. by luck? But I I can see it being intentional, where it's like it's up to you. To me personally, I'm just like I think Joker's just saying that shit. The Two Face, but in reality, of course, he's planned everything. You know, of course, like his plan at the end of the fairies was for you know the fairies to blow up and Gotham to have no hope and shit. Because clearly, he's frustrated when it doesn't happen. Like the guy clearly plans a lot and stuff. He's just saying that to Two Face. But you know, an argument could be said through you know from the other side saying that well, like that's just you know maybe he means something else. Maybe he means he doesn't have like a set end game. He's always planning different things but he doesn't have like a set set plan. He's more flexible. I mean, he does talk about being an agent of chaos, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of planning. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I'd say I, I agree, but he, you know, like with the two boats thing and tr- he's trying to show the world that it's as broken as he is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course we find out that the world isn't a, as broken as he is. It's just him. And uh, I think that's a revelation to Joker. And honestly, all that shit is like some of the deepest shit in comic book movies. And, you know, we have Nolan and Goyer to thank for that. You know, uh, we the cultural impact of these movies is insane. We People quote these movies all the time because mm-hmm. they resonate deeply. It's something to do with him being British or something, man. I don't, I don't know Maybe. what it is. Like, it just... I know Goyer wrote it and he's American, but it's that combination and his of... his brother's that. American, too. You know, I, isn't that weird? It's always jo- weird, yeah. Jonathan is. Nolan is has an American accent. Chris mm-hmm. Nolan is, in, is British as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is, man, but... Um, yeah. It's great. I, I'm a huge. If you can't tell, I'm a huge Nolan fan. I don't think that everything he's ever made is like a ten out of ten. I didn't really love Tenet, but um, I like what he's doing. I like his whole. I like his whole career as a director. I like. I even when he makes a mistake, I still appreciate that it exists. That that movie exists. You know. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that. We'll take off to the break and we'll come back and go over the concept art for the locales. All right, everyone, it's time for our July announcements. We got a bunch of other new things on the way uh, or already recorded. So uh, let's start with this. We have the 89 logo up here because for those who missed it, I was on the show Table Read Tuesdays where we read the Sam Hamm script for uh, from 1986. Uh, for the Batman 89 movie. I couldn't reveal who I was playing the last time we announced this, but uh, since it's already come and gone, I was the voice of Batman. Woo! So I got to finally uh, read that role. It was an awesome experience. I got my own Vicky Vale, got my own Joker to fight against, my own Robin even. 
But, uh, you know, it's also a script where there are long instances where Batman is doing stuff and doesn't say anything. So it was really easy for me compared to everyone else. Um, especially compared to Cat, the narrator, who was the MVP of that, with reading through all the action description. But uh, <laughs> check that out at the Table Read Tuesdays uh, YouTube page that we'll have on the link below. And uh, it is five hours long, FYI. So don't, oh, wow. don't expect you to go through all that because there's a lot of, uh, again, there's so much action description that it's not the same length as a movie. Uh, when right. we go through all that. And the final hour alone is just on, you know, an analysis and discussion on the differences between this and the uh, the movie itself. So uh, check that out if you want. And uh, in the meantime, both uh, Andrew and I, as we've talked about before, are in a movie. We're in Jeffrey Scott Richards' movie, Derek Magnum. We recently saw uh, the finished edit of it. It's great. We are in it, of course. It's great because we're in it. No, it's, it's, it's great regardless <laughs> whether or not we're in it. Uh, but uh, please help us out or help them out really because this does not go to us uh, there's a GoFundMe set up for the Derek Magnum production costs and a lot of it goes towards uh, you know submitting it to festivals which is where uh, you know Jeffrey's sending it and we are executive producers on the movie so if you are a part of that and want to help out you will be basically helping us become executive producers on potentially an award winning movie in these festivals so Indeed. that's exciting Yes, um, thank you for including us, Derek. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. Please check it out, everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, please uh, try to help them out um, with production costs. Plus, yeah, the submitting to festivals, man, it ain't cheap. Nope. It's, that's a whole other deal, dude. Uh, yes. So, uh, so yeah, please ch- check that out if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, another announcement coming up. Um, so I have a couple creative things. Andrew has a couple creative things. So mm-hmm. I'll start with mine. Uh, my first scripted podcast for the audio drama channel, Nuvers Creative, that is coming up soon, if it has not been already by the time this gets released. And it is not one that we've announced before. This has been kept secret until now, but I can finally Ooh. reveal this. It's going to be Batman 89, Case of the Chemical Syndicate. This is an adaptation of the very first Batman story, Detective Comics number 27, by Bill Finger, but written as a prequel to Batman 89. Uh, and also, as you can see in this thumbnail uh, by Tim over at Nubra's Creative, it is inspired by the Cape Crusader suit that we broke down in our episode where we nice. went through all the different Keaton suits. So that's why that's there. Though, you wrote it? You subs- I did, yeah. Okay, so I cool. wrote, I, I adapted this. Um, there is, it's basically a, a faithful adaptation of Detective Comics number 27, but I injected a little something in there that you guys are going to have to listen to <laughs> that makes it connect to the movie the 89 movie um though if you subscribe to the idea that keaton's batman in the flash is a different version from his in batman 89 let's keep in mind guys this is audio so you can just envision him in whatever suit you want if you want to envision him <laughs> in the batman 89 suit cool if you want to you know uh put this insane continuity as johnny k's the oath movie maybe he's in that batman return style prototype that he wore that it's up to you because this is what i love about doing these it's audio so you can envision whatever the hell you want when it comes to the designs of these suits so uh that i'm excited about that it's my first collaboration release collaboration uh with newverse on that and uh if this does well maybe we'll take a crack at some other ones that explain those keaton suits for there but uh when you check that out you may also hear a familiar voice in the story as one of the villains so uh that is on the way or 
has already been released, depending on when that gets out. And lastly, to continue updating people, I have more art to share on the upcoming comic of mine, Alter Ego, which is basically Game of Thrones supervillains, where five families of villains <laughs> rule over the wasteland of a post-apocalyptic city. I introduced you last time to the first three families. This is the head of the fourth family, the Gatekeeper. Think of him as Aquaman on land. He can communicate <laughs> with all the surviving zoo animals to protect the borders of the city and ensure no one gets in or out. Hence, the Gatekeeper. Uh, so as you can see here, he's got a lion as an enforcer, as well as a bird who informs him of everything that happens. And uh, <laughs> that cane is nothing to, uh, you know, be afraid of the cane is all I'm going to say on that. So uh, this is what we got. And uh, over to Andrew on your stuff. Okay, so uh, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, this project used to be called Amano Recon. We've changed that to, uh, to what we think is a better name and it's now called Metal Force, okay? Um, and we're going to have a booth where we're promoting the Kickstarter that's going to be running for Metal Force at Japan World Heroes Convention. That's the name of the convention, and that's August 18th to 20th, uh, and that's at the Burbank Marriott Convention Center in Los Angeles. Um, we might be selling some trinkets, too, so uh, some small stuff, nothing crazy, and just kind of like promoting our project and trying to get funding while at the convention. So check it out, and also please check out uh, www.metalforce.ninja. That is our URL, and you can see the campaign video there, mm -hmm. and uh, just the whole pitch and everything for Metal Force is there. And uh, it's R-rated Power Rangers meet Stranger Things. That's my elevator pitch for it. It's not a fan film, uh, but it does have strong inspiration from those two things. So it's a horror comedy movie. So uh, there it is. Please check it out. And uh, that's it for that one, Ben. <laughs> nice. And uh, lastly, we have our charity for this month. Okay. To be for uh, Hope for the Day. Hope for the Day is a nonprofit movement empowering the conversation on proactive suicide prevention through action, outreach, and education. By educating ourselves and our communities on the basics of mental health, we can create strong peer support networks to assist those experiencing mental health challenges. When we provide accessible resources for mental health and social services, we can save lives. And Especially if you look at our when we look at our YouTube analytics, we're like over 99% men, and not to say that it's it's obviously doesn't matter about gender, but there's something about men not talking about their mental problems. I'll say that like dudes don't talk about emotions and feelings and shit. So uh, if I can talk to 99% of our audience, like please go seek help uh, and talk to these people. Or uh, the suicide prevention hotline as well, uh, you know, because, Ben, have you ever had anybody commit suicide in your life? Yes. And I have as well. Everybody, a lot of people have this experience, which really fucking sucks. So, uh, yeah, this is what we're talking about this month. And uh, hope, hope for the day is our charity. So please check them out. 
Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about Japanese to English translation. In this first season, it will be 10 episodes each season. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general. Japanese cultural differences as well and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly aka EGM so stay tuned for Gaming Gaiden Podcast it's already out now y'all I want to tell you about the Patreon.com Patreon.com slash Superhero Stuff Pod and on that you get the $1 tier uh, you can join the $1 tier, which gets you the shout-out on the board, and either visually or orally, or both, at times. Uh, <laughs> we want to do the oral, uh, for the most part, uh, for newer people. Uh, and then the $5 tier gets you a whole new show. Uh, this show is every Monday, as you well know, and it's free on YouTube and the What's Nots. And... Um, <laughs> The uh, Patreon show is every Friday at the $5 tier mark. You can, if you want, binge us for five mm-hmm. bucks. And uh, it's like 150 episodes, uh, almost 150 at this point. And you can, uh, you know, listen to all that content there. Even the stuff that's been released from the vault, none of that has been the full episode as well. So, uh, trying to keep our uh, five dollar tier people happy. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. so, but yeah, check that out. And then our ten dollar tier gets you all of the above, plus a uh, it gets you a monthly meetup show where you meet up with us monthly, and it's like a Zoom like call, and we have a topic at hand, or sometimes videos we react to, and things like that. And that's at the ten dollar tier. Um, every tier that you get like the $5 tier gets you the $1 tier benefits and the $10 tier gets you the $5 tier benefits and the $1 tier benefits. So mm-hmm. check that out at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. We also got the merch, which is Redbubble, superhousepod.redbubble.com and on threadless superhero stuff pod.threadless.com. Get your Ben Man and Indeed Wizard mug, shirt, shower curtains, and all the rest artwork by Stefan Santa Cruz. And please send us some audio at superhousepodcast at gmail.com. A bumper would be great. Mm-hmm. You too can be part of the show. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf lives as my other YouTube channel, one of my many YouTube channels. And I have uh, also thunderwolfdrew.com has my whole portfolio in one place except for amanorecon.com that's A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N dot com and that is uh, an original idea that some friends and I are doing where it is R-rated um, Power Rangers meets Stranger Things that's the quick pitch and it is not a fan film, original idea. We have a pitch video right now on YouTube and on the Indiegogo page. We're campaigning right now as of this, uh, when this episode premieres. And this poster art is by ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com. And check it out. Please support us on the campaign. And more from that soon. 
Um, but yes, it's uh, it's bloody. And um, if you like that kind of thing, check us out. And that's it, Ben. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram Superhero Stuff Pod, where we have some different supplemental stuff. We even I've even analyzed the martial arts stance that the Keaton ornament from the Flash is in, so you can check that out on our Instagram Superhero Stuff Pod, uh, TikTok Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero Superhero Stuff Pod. My website is BenWanWriter.com, where you can read a whole bunch of spec scripts, including Gotham Vampire Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes. And curb your enthusiasm, Disneyland. If you're fans of any of those shows, check them out and let us know what you think. My YouTube channel is in the description below, including Doctor Who, The Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, edit, and narrate with the Eighth Doctor, meeting Miyamoto Musashi. My personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. If you like cats, my son Alfie, my cat, is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat. And if you have an Alfie yourself, then you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box with a crazy cat lady and gent and you can even check out another page on that website superherostuffpod.com slash show notes that includes uh various show notes for each of our episodes links to the scripts that we review if they're available online amazon links to the stuff we've been talking about including you know brian levant's book that he plugged for us my life and toys so check that out at superherostuffpod.com slash show notes lord have mercy y'all do you like hounds do you enjoy pooches do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches. Or hounds. That's right. One free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash SuperheroStuffPod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. Bark, bark, chicken head. Welcome back, and now we're going to look at the different locales and scenes from the concept art. Some stuff will look very close to what we saw in the movie, uh, like the stuff we have right here. And uh, other times it will look a little different, so we'll see. But this is the uh, the Wayne Enterprises, you know, R and D division. How Lucius has kind of uh, spruced it up a little bit since it was last seen in Batman Begins. But this is the area where, uh, you know, Lucius tells Bruce about how you know he's kind of learned to turn his head. Um, actually, that was in the previous scene, but you know what I mean. This is the one where he gives him <laughs> the uh, the bat suit and stuff. <laughs> so uh, right. looks pretty close. Looks pretty close, as we see. Yeah, here. it's close enough. Yeah. Uh, and here's the boardroom where uh, Bruce is caught falling asleep with Mr. Lau, which I've always interpreted as Bruce pretending to, because he's just very much awake when Lucius walks back in. But it could also be a thing where he's just out so long that he just naps anyway, and he just he just lets himself do it because it'll just enhance his, you know, Bruce Wayne image. Could go either way. I took it as being real. Just they wanted the comic comedic beat, and mm -hmm. he's working all night every night, so mm -hmm. it's uh, taking a toll on him. So yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think the humor of this movie I think is underrated. Yeah, it, it's uh, great. It's really funny. It sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't always. Sometimes it doesn't always hit. But the the Joker humor, as well as the stuff involving Playboy Bruce Wayne, 
those are yeah. where it, the humor just soars, you know? Like, Bruce Wayne specifically, when he's, like, pretending to be kind of an idiot, you know? He's like, you think I should go to a hospital? <laughs> to Gordon, he's like, you don't look at the news much, do you? Yeah. Like, that stuff is, is, is great. Uh, this is the mayor's office where we got the imposter Batman who's being hanged, uh, which was, you know, one of the big jump scares in the theater. I still remember Oh, that. yeah. Incredible. Such a cool shot, too. Yeah. Uh, so that shot's here. Uh, moving forward, we get that from the outside as the guy's being lowered down. Uh, but this is kind of a shot we didn't really get to see in the movie in terms of how it it, it looked, or if we did, it was very brief. Uh, so, so oh, yeah, this looks a lot like what we got. Yeah. Man. So whenever he's doing that, I think I mentioned this before in a previous one, but mm-hmm. when Joker's... Uh, in you know the Joker footage of him like fucking with the guy, mm-hmm. he, uh, he says like "Look at me." He does like a straight up like death metal growl like the second, <laughs> oh, yeah. second or third time. Like it's def- that, yeah. It sounds really like heavy metal influence, mm-hmm. or so I was like that was like even in the theater I was like, "Damn, that's awesome." <laughs> Maybe that's what he was listening to that day. It, it could at least for that one line it must mm. have it must have had that influence dude it's so it's so close to that i'm picturing him skateboarding around the because that's oh yeah that's another thing for those who don't know this is the reference uh so heath ledger was skateboarding on set as the joker um, <laughs> somebody did a photoshop thing of him skateboarding above the bat suit that's not actually what happened but like there is video footage of him you mean i'm doing an ollie ollie over batman yeah. himself yeah yeah that's, yeah yeah that's not actually that's not actually real but it is i do remember seeing the set footage of, of him just chilling out and just sort of just you know between takes obviously uh skateboarding and i think everyone this is an era of the internet i think where everyone knew that that was uh between takes i feel like if it was this these days people would be like this is bullshit joker doesn't skateboard because nobody reads shit these days <laughs> just goes with whatever they they feel like and then they don't research anything but no, back in 2007 really. or so when that happened uh you know it was pretty clear it was between takes so uh it's i kind of picture him listening to like you know heavy metal while he's doing that and maybe that's what influenced uh his delivery of that line at least for the one line dude it must Mm -hmm. have it's that was another moment in the movie i was just like i was just so like entranced by the performance Mm -hmm. yeah no again you're glued to the screen for that glue glued to it there was in recent memory the only other time that's happened to me in the theater like i was super glued was not not a comic book movie but it was get out actually oh yeah completely fucking like entranced by the movie i can see Uh, that yeah uh, just incredible especially near the end of the second act going action going into the third act it was i thought that was incredible i was Mm -hmm. i was take i was blown away i was blown away by get out uh it's a special feeling. You don't get it too often. At least I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, here's Rachel. This is Rachel in the uh, among all the oil drums uh, before she gets killed. But yeah, this is the look of that area. Um, the clothes might be a little different, but yeah, this is pretty close mm-hmm. to what we got, ended up getting. Uh, this is the wreckage, I guess, after Rachel's killed. The yeah. fire trucks and stuff. Uh, Joker on the pile of money, of course. Uh, Great there's scene. no, Great there's no scene. Mr. Lau at the top, but it's just <laughs> everything him burns. Out. Yep, as he burns that guy to death. Yeah. Uh, this is that uh, <laughs> brother eye type of device that uh, 
Bruce uses for sonar to find the Joker towards the end. This uh, is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. Uh, and then more of uh, Bruce's penthouse uh, at the top, which I knew was uh, going to be in this movie because I was just like, look, Wayne Manor is burnt down. It would be cool if they referenced the 70s and had him like living in the Wayne Tower. And lo, lo and behold, that's what they ended up doing in the movie. thought it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It reads that yeah. sad-ass letter. Yeah. Almost reads it. This is something that's new, though. Unless you remember a meat locker in the movie. I, I don't. don't. I yeah, don't. This is Joker in a meat locker. I feel like maybe this is like an alternate scene of the um, the everything burns scene, except there's no, you know, there's no cash here. So I don't know. Maybe they were just playing around with different things. Or maybe, um, maybe this is like kind of the setting for, or one of the settings they had in mind for the mob meeting that he crashes. Right. This is like maybe the hallway into where the mob is. Potentially. But yeah. yeah, this is this is one that intrigued me because I'm like, this is different. I could, I mean, you know, all these dead animals has a horror vibe, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of kind of thing. Um, so yeah, sure, why not? Let's see, going forward, classic look of Batman looking over Gotham City. Always a great shot. Classic. They do that. Uh, this is the uh, this is leading up to the fairies. I think this is the prison. A black gate prison where they put the prisoners on the ferries before the big uh, two boat scene. Yeah, and then of course Batman on the bat pod, which looks pretty close to what we ended up getting anyway. So pretty good, yeah. Pretty I, good. I, I like this motorcycle. I always thought it was pretty cool. I forgot yeah. what I ranked it as, but we it's ranked pretty it, good. I think we still gave it an A or a B. Yeah, right. You know, like it's it's one that again, like it was one of the few times where I liked it once I saw the movie. Liked it better once I saw the movie because most of the yeah. time, especially like what we went over with a flash, like when we saw it, we were just, when we saw certain designs, we were just like, oh, that's awesome. Or, eh, you know, and it, the movie didn't really change our opinion on it. But this one is not really, yeah. Something about the function of it from the Tumblr or just like, oh, that's why it looks like that. That's why it makes sense. That's why the wheels are so big, <laughs> you know, like all those, all those <laughs> aspects. That's why it's called Bat Pod because it's an escape pod. Like all those things suddenly like drive together and made sense. And I remember, like, that was kind of reported or that was the rumor, but there was something different about finally actually seeing it go from Tumblr to Batpod on screen that really changed my mind. I was like, all right, you know what? That's legit. Like, that's cool. And it's probably also that flip against the wall that your friend hated. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I thought it was great. Yeah. I had no problem with yeah. anything it did. And it took out a fucking, um, you know, before it did the flip, it did the, uh, it took out the 18-wheel the, the or so. Yeah. So, yeah, why not? Indeed. Uh, another shot of Joker on top of the pile of money as well. Obviously, they wanted to, you know, how do you picture a pile of money? Like, I'm, I'm sure that's kind of what they uh, were thinking of in this. <laughs> They're sort of like referencing the long Halloween, but they have to bring it to live action. Part of this, like some of these like uh, location shots, I'm thinking like, why don't they just take a picture of the location they're going to shoot at? But then I was like, and then my second thought was like, oh, yeah, they're going to build this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're going to build a lot of this in a location. So, because they have money. <laughs> you know, <I'd, laughs> if you can find a random place with this much money stacked up in cash. Let me well, know. <laughs> not just this, but like any of the other materials, like um, uh, mm -hmm. any of the locations, I mean, like even the, the penthouse and all that. Yeah. Like they, they definitely found like, you know, an apartment, you know, room or whatever. But I'm sure a lot of that might have been even like customized 
by production design. You or know? it's a set with like green screen through the windows that they then like, you know, put something that made yeah. it look like he's in the high rise, but he's not actually in the high rise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is something different. So this is the imposter ba- Batman, but he's hanging from a light post. Pretty fucking dark, man. Yeah. This Especially is darker than ragged, anything else. Yeah, the ragged cape and everything's empty. Nobody's seeing him. <laughs> that is t- it's dark yeah. as fuck, yeah. This is also dark as fuck. So now we're getting into the two-face period as we wrap things up. Uh, so this is literally Harvey right after he's been burned. So he's half of him is steaming, uh, smoking on fire from all of that. His hand looks a little fucked up, too, uh, from that. Maybe that's just how they drew it. But it almost looks like he's got claws in this. Clearly, that's not what they were actually going to do in the movie. But Yeah, I think that might be like his bone coming out. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, weird he has claws, but... Yeah. Uh, this would have been kind of a cool shot, though. Yeah, that too. It looks like Batman's farther away in this one than he was in the movie. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then we got other shots of Two-Face. The main thing that um, is a little different from the comic book Two-Face or the, the traditional comic book Two-Face is the fact that he hey, he's kind of bald on that one side, which was probably likely an influence from the long Halloween that then, you know, thanks to this as well, percolated into the comics. And so different comic book versions will sort of adopt this type of look where it's, uh, you know, kind of bald. It's bald on the other side due to the burns. And sometimes you'll see one where it's just white hair on the other side. So it's still still kind of down to artist interpretation. Mm-hmm. But uh, for sure that's something that's unique to this version is kind of the bits of jawbone you see sticking out of uh, out of Harvey. <laughs> In, uh, in the movie, which was achieved through... Uh, that was achieved through CG. Sort of a rare moment of uh, Nolan using CG, but he kind of needed it for that type of makeup. Uh, yeah, you need that, and, and like anytime you need to... like You could put prosthetics on, but it's very hard to make a negative space, so mm-hmm. like anytime like you, they had to take away... like Especially when they, in, in some zombies, when they take away the nose, yeah, you know, they'll, put, they'll put green around the nose... Uh, and then and then fix that digitally. I don't I don't know what it, I mean. I guess the jaw, maybe some some other things too with mm-hmm. with him. But uh, it was a great effect, and it was also kind of like almost like comedic that he was wearing like the two face suit too. But it was like a fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he's know, wearing the suit that he got burned in. <laughs> he's wearing the suit that he got burned in because it seems like almost too silly for Nolan. But like Nolan definitely like wanted to pay homage to that. So. I you know I appreciated that I'm sure you did as well. It's, it's, I thought it was but the it was best kind of character design of the movie. It was kind of funny. It was just funny. Yeah. It was funny to see the suit. His face looks like you know not funny obviously, yeah. but the suit was funny. Yeah, I, I hear you, but it's also one where I'm just like, you know, I'm not a fan of a lot of the designs that we've talked about before, whether it's the bat yeah. suit or Scar Joker or the Bat Bunker. So like to see like a two face that kind of looked like he stepped a little bit closer off the page. Um, was refreshing yeah. in this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. even yeah, if it yeah. was like a little too much when it came to like the bits and bones that were sticking out and shit. I'm like, okay, we didn't need that, dude. <laughs> but like, I appreciate yeah. that. Like, somebody, um, him and Jim Gordon look like they they stepped off the comic book page. Yes, so, that's true. Uh, there's that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, other than that, whoops, skipped a little bit ahead. But uh, that's the Two Face stuff. Again, not a lot of stuff that's hugely different from what we got in the movie but it's still worth going back and taking a look especially those early like joker ones and, right uh, yeah and yeah. seeing what you know the genesis of these ideas that's what's always so cool about looking at this mm-hmm. so uh any other closing thoughts any stuff that you thought was uh 
Anything that jumped out at you? Mm, the pigs. Francis Bacon. The Francis Bacon was cool. Mm-hmm. I did like that. Um, and then the pig shot because I want I want to know where that was supposed to fit in the movie. Yeah, if anyone knows, let us know. I'm I'm going back to it right here. Where like it's like Joker standing in the middle of like what looks like a meat locker type it, of thing. It must be him walking to like the his de- the debut scene, but they yeah. wanted to cut it because they wanted it to be. It's about uh, this is filmmaking one on one here, but it, like what perspective is the shot from? So they wanted to keep the perspective of that scene being from the perspective of the mob. Mm-hmm. If they had changed it to a solo shot, like a one shot of him walking in, it would have like changed perspectives. Right. It's true. So yeah, it feels like it's Joker's if, perspective instead of theirs. Yeah. So if it, it might've been that and they cut it because it was, it didn't fit like that, mm-hmm. but you know, we're not sure. We haven't read the fucking script. Don't know, but it seems like maybe that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let us know in the comment section. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, my I I like some of the early Joker designs. I like seeing some of the the clown stuff that they were playing around with because I'm just like, look, if you're gonna play around with Joker's look, I would prefer adding more clown stuff rather than adding more scars and chemical burn stuff. And unfortunately, it looks right. like these days. With the exception of the Walking Phoenix Joker, it looks like people are trying to learn, lean a lot more towards scars or how do we fuck them up or give them tattoos and shit. And I'm like, look, we don't need that. <laughs> right. Give them more different clown stuff. I'm fine with more clown stuff, but yeah, you know, making them look all deformed and shit. And I'm just like, you don't, you don't need to do that. But that's just my take. It's a, it's about not knowing if it's going to be funny or if it's going to be scary. Mm-hmm. And you're on the edge of your seat because it could be. Either or or both, you know? Like, yeah. Like the pencil trick caught us all off guard probably the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's it starts out as a joke and ends up in murder. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> it's just like, it's it's that's the Joker, man. That should be mm-hmm. like his whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and with that, that is superhero stuff you should know. Big thanks to Dan for gathering the visuals and the concept art for the uh, YouTube experience that we got. And jumping into the fan comments, uh, we got French Lover 3000 who commented on our Spider-Man Operation Z, uh, the unmade Jim Shooter treatment episode that we did with uh, Tim Maxwell from Newverse Creative. French Lover says, Great episode, guys. The whole thing of Aunt May misunderstanding Kingpin's intentions is amusing to me because it reminds me of some of the early Spider-Man comics from the 60s, some of which I've read, where Aunt May was kidnapped by the Sinister Six, if I recall correctly, and thought that Doc Ock was, quote-unquote, a nice gentleman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Doc Ock even tries to marry her at one point. Uh, but uh, there was even oh, a later man. issue where Aunt May held Spider-Man at gunpoint trying to defend Doc Ock. Thankfully, modern stories and adaptations don't do this weird Aunt May-Doc Ock dynamic anymore, and it remains mostly a kooky 60s subplot. <laughs> so, uh, that is true. I do think... Alfred Molina and Marisa Tomei have played lovers in something, though. So if you want to see something close to that in live action, check that out. I'd have to look up the movie. Wouldn't um, surprise me. But, yeah, because she's been you know, in the industry for so long that uh, she's been paired up with a whole bunch of different... Uh, I think who else has she been with among the Spider-Man films? I forgot, but like I remember seeing like somebody had like a montage with a different... Uh, uh, like all the, you know, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon type of thing, but with Marisa Tomei among like MCU actors and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously Robert Downey Jr. People have brought that up. Oh, yeah. 
she'll be well. hot when she's 85, dude. <laughs> I mean, yes. dude, she's like, it's ridiculous, bro. It's unbelievable. So I'll have to look up the movie on that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the closest to be able to see Aunt May with Doc Ock. Yeah. Next is from Bonch Bonch saying, I think the issue with... Uh, <laughs> awesome name. Nice name, yes. Bonch Bonch. <laughs> Bonch Bonch says, I think the issue of Keaton's Batman knowing about multiverses has more to do with confusion about why he would know anything about time travel. It doesn't fit with the relatively more grounded world depicted in the Burton films. Uh, to me, this is the same thing, though. Because just yeah. like the multiverse, time travel also exists as a theory in our world. So... I don't think it's a case where Batman has personal experience with these things. He doesn't need personal experience with these things, just like we don't need personal experience with these things. Stephen Hawking, you know, doesn't need, you know, right. experience with these things. Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't need, you know, experience, like personal experience living through these things. These are scientific theories, which Bruce could have easily read during his retirement in that big-ass library he has, which looks like every book ever published has been uh, is in that library. So he most likely did read about the multiverse and time travel there. I mean, it's like him knowing all that stuff, like you said, it's just the same as knowing about gravity. Mm-hmm. It's no, you know, the same as knowing about like the Big Bang and shit like that. Um, there is some, there is some stuff specific to the movie that's not really science, like the canon event type stuff. Uh, but other than that, like it's, you know, he just knows science, man. It's just, yeah. <laughs> that's just what it is. Uh, it's, it's funny how people have kind of taken issue with, with this particular part. I think it's just, people don't see it as science. They see it as a, um, they see it as just a comic book invention mm-hmm. and it, it just takes them out of the movie, I guess, uh, for whatever reason, but it's, he just knows science, man. There was other problems with this film. It's, I don't just don't, I don't think this is one of them. No. Uh, yeah, I, no, I agree with you on that. This is not a problem with the movie, uh, yeah. at least to us. I, I do think though, there is a point to be said where I think maybe because it's Batman and because he comes from a world we didn't, we wouldn't really associate all these things happening with, uh, it might be a little bit more jarring because, Nobody said a goddamn thing in event in Avengers Endgame that uh, you know Bruce Banner and and company know about time travel because time travel was not established really before Avengers Endgame. Now, I think, so it's okay, a world with a lot of comic booky stuff though, so I get that. Let's pick this apart though. Tony Stark yeah. is more of an in- engineering kind of guy, like a machinist, mm-hmm. so he would know less maybe. But then again, he's got genius level intellect mm-hmm. and like. Then you got um, Banner. Bruce Banner is like more of like your quantum physicist type, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, I actually don't know what is he supposed to study exactly. What type of sciences is he? Do you it remember? does bring that up, doesn't it? Because I'm just I thought about that too. I'm just like, well, yeah, Banner knows, and Banner's a he's a he's a scientist. He's a scientist. We're <laughs> got a lab coat. Have you seen the coat? <laughs> he deals with radiation. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the gamma radio, whatever the fuck it is. No, but it does seem like he more than more than Stark. Maybe if you he's the one who seems to have the authority on time travel in that movie. Yeah, if he but, knows like ninety eight percent of you know quantum mechanics, Tony Stark mm-hmm. knows seventy eight percent or whatever the fuck. You know, he well, Tony Stark knows a lot, but Bruce Banner on this subject knows a little bit more mm-hmm. probably. But um, I think also like I. The other like undercurrent of this is like it, 
it's so spacey, I think. And with like Bruce Wayne, it's if he had said anything sciencey involving chemicals at a crime lab, like mm-hmm. no one would have batted, batted an eye. But mm-hmm. this being like really big space concepts, it just really throws some people off, maybe. You know? Yeah. But again, it didn't bother us. No, this. no, not really. I, I'm surprised the the kind of backlash this particular point in the movie has gotten. Yeah, well, there's been a there's certain things that uh, we wish had more backlash <laughs> in this movie, dude. I, look, I, I've said a lot of times. This is actually tangential to what you just said, but mm-hmm. going to the box office again, like I'm I'm starting to believe in karma, bro. Like this is. <laughs> this is this is man i'm not i'm not really religious at all but this Mm. karma dude this is this is really starting to you know kick in for me yeah so but thank you bonch bonch uh yes i selected this last this last comment because it is related to this episode so rambo roberto says another excellent video gents this is on our uh non-spoiler review on the flash uh, I would be interested to know what you deem the best DC movie. I love your work, Ben. However, I totally disagree with your opinion on The Dark Knight. That, to me, is not only the greatest superhero movie ever made, but also one of the mightiest films ever created. Be interested to know your opinion. Okay. So... Ooh, we've never for, been like confronted like this. Full context of this. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, this is back when we did the non-spoiler review on The Flash, and we saw the movie before most of the public did, and the most of the public who actually did see the movie, considering, <laughs> considering what happened later. Oh, my um, God. And I objected, during that review, I objected to the hype that it was, quote, the best DC movie since The Dark Knight, which is something that I feel gets thrown around a lot. It was thrown around a lot for The Flash, but also just in general, for some of the other stuff where it was, you know, t- to me, um, well, I'll get into it, but, uh, you know, I said I didn't think... The Flash was the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. And on top of that, I didn't think The Dark Knight was the best DC movie either. Or like, the actual statement I had in my notes is The Dark Knight's not the best DC movie since The Dark Knight, which I didn't really get to explain because I think I, I got distracted thinking about something you're, else. But You're a returns guy. Um, in terms of overall or? Yeah, overall. Is, it, is Batman Returns your favorite ever? I would say it's mixed. I, I mean, look, my, my favorite, like, the 90s Batman in general would probably be uh, in my heart, right? If you were to ask me, it'd be 89 through forever would be like the ones I rewatch over and over and over again. But in terms of characterization and script and plot, the edge goes to Batman begins in the Batman for me as well. So, okay. It's tough. My personal favorites would be, you know, 89 and returns with yeah. like forever being like right under it. But if we were talking about like, what's the best, I'm like, to me, in terms of best representation of the character plus a good solid script, then it would be Begins and, and the Batman and and the Batman. Um, but uh, again, part of this, the part of reason I I said what I said was that like I feel like the quote that quotes the best DC movie since The Dark Knight sort of implies that everything in between The Dark Knight and whatever movie they're talking about has been like horrifically bad, which in the case of The Flash isn't really the case. You know, there were plenty of good ones. There was still, like, I still like the first Wonder Woman, the first Shazam, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Batman, because, you know, calling it a DC movie doesn't say that it's specifically a DCEU movie. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. He's, he's saying say DC movie are, here. Yeah, and I say most of those are better than The Flash, and I'm not even a big Man of Steel fan, but I'd probably still rank 
Honestly, I might even rank Ant-Man of Steel over over the Flash and stuff. Or maybe that's just because of how like how great that looked, how the effects looked so great in that one compared to how the CG looked in the Flash. Yeah, we didn't know what we had, man, when Man of Steel yeah. came out. Yeah, and then like ten years later, we look at the Flash and like, well, I can see why some you know people say like we miss Snyder. I'm like, well, I miss, I definitely miss the visual aspect at times, you know, the way that he shoots action, like you've talked about. Um, yeah, he's a fucking virtuoso with action. James yeah. can't. James Cameron himself has like said shit about that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. Cameron generally has better scripts and stuff than Snyder, but Snyder's incredible with action, unbelievable yeah. with action, dude. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other factor of why I did say that I don't think The Dark Knight's the best DC film, and what I, you know, and, and what I think the best DC film is, I think, you know, for those who've been with us for a while, you've heard our deep dives into the Nolan films. Each one is like two or three parts each. We go through each movie. We kind of did a competition of what's in the movie versus the comics. I'll try not to repeat like a lot of the minor points brought up here, but when it comes to the topic of best DC movie, I feel like if I'm going to crown something the best DC movie, it has to have a few factors. My personal criteria, again, this is all my opinion. It should, of course, be a great entertaining movie in itself, which is which The Dark Knight is. Um, but I also feel like it has to have the look and feel of like the comic book brought to life in some way, even if it's not 100% accurate. Um, but like at least feel in some way like a representation of what's in the comics, and it should feel like a great representation of the superhero character, as well as, on top of that, have a lot of influence and cultural impact on the genre and the perception of that character. There have been plenty of like solid superhero films that we've liked, like the first Shazam, but like you got to be kidding me if we're going to say that has any influence or cultural impact <laughs> on anything afterwards. Well, so, I mean, just whatever your, what's your gut tell you, man? Uh, I'm gonna continue the criteria, but yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's ultimately a gut thing. It's a gut. It's a gut thing. It's a gut thing. And you know, I'm obviously I'm not a Dark Knight hater. You know, I've praised aspects of this on the show in this episode before. But out of the criteria I outlined, you know, I I feel like I can't in good conscience crown the best DC movie to something that is also trying so hard not to be a comic book movie at the same time, which shows up a lot in the designs that we talked about here. Like yeah. as we said, like the most comic booky looking characters in this are Jim Gordon. And Two Face, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, eh. yeah, you know. yeah. And it's 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 a sentiment that was there before Nolan, but it's one that he definitely cemented, which is sort of this era where it's like we'll adapt comic book stories and the deep themes of it, but we don't want, you know, we we almost feel ashamed of making it too comic book. They can't look too close to the comics. It can't be, you know, too faithful to that type of stuff. And I feel like that element is there. And, you know, obviously the movie has major strengths. It's got, you know, the themes, as, as Andrew's talked about, the iconic dialogue, and obviously Heath Ledger's Joker. But, you know, yeah. those things are important, but also, again, it, t- it depends on what your priorities are and your criteria or what your gut is. I'm more of a story guy than a theme guy. I'm more of an emotion than how the subplots tied together type of person. I, I'd, I'd rather have a strong hero than a strong villain for a lot of this and so like i think the joker is obviously universally phrased uh and the best part of this movie when it comes to batman i think there are great individual moments of the batman character in this you know you've got bruce throwing out the champagne off the balcony you got bruce saving mr reese by crashing the lamborghini you got (laughs) batman saving the hostages from the swat team which i think is like the the high point of of the uh, the bail era in terms of like batman specific moments sure the fight choreography is not as good as the warehouse scene, but like the emotion, the role it plays in the story to me, like that is, you know, what everyone says about the warehouse scene, that is my warehouse scene, is when he saves everyone SWAT, um, from the SWAT team in that, because of just how, how good that is. 
But in terms of representing the character, I feel mixed on it. You know, like I've, and it's not just like oh, like I don't like the suit, or like I've I've criticized the voice, but more of like to represent Batman. You know, he spends the whole movie talking about how he won't kill, and then he breaks it at the end and kills Harvey, and nobody calls him out on it. And people are like, well, a kid was held hostage. What did you expect Batman to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe look at all the million of other times that Batman got out of a hostage situation without killing anyone in the comics. Like, I, I don't know why it had to end in that specific way and in a way that, like, is, like, I'm not sure if it's done in a way where the point was that, oh, he had to break his rule or he's going to break the rule, but it's okay in some way. But we're also not going to address it. So that's really weird to me. And I get it. We, we talk a lot about Batman 89 a lot here. It's my childhood favorite. I already just mentioned it as one of my favorites. But the character and the characterization in that is not perfect either. But he also at least never said he had a rule against killing throughout the whole movie. Um, Keaton at least was not you know a hypocrite in that sense. But bigger thing is that this movie kind of establishes something that is kind of slightly hinted at and begins but becomes a bigger issue in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, which is that Bruce has one foot out the door already as Batman. He's ready to quit in year two. He wants to shift all his responsibility to Harvey Dent in cleaning the streets and also take Harvey Dent's fiance for himself because he's been in love with this girl who doesn't want to be with him. And I get like, there's a part of it. It's part of this is his character arc. I get it. He's naive enough to think that he can put the system back in charge and Batman's just a temporary thing. But that aspect I just described with him and Harvey and Rachel, that's kind of the crux of his story in this movie. And that's not really a story about Bruce Wayne. I can hold up as a great version of the character. I don't really think that's that great of a story for Batman specifically. I think it's a great Harvey Dent and Joker story. But in terms of Batman stuff, I'm just like, it, it, it falls flat to me. So I think it works best as like an ensemble crime movie with Nolan fulfilling his dream of aping Michael Mann uh, rather than a movie that represents what Batman's about. So that's kind of why I'm just like, I don't think I can cr quite crown it. Now, what do I crown as the best DC film in my mind? It's got to be Superman 78 to me. because More than any of the Batman films? It's not perfect, as we talked about, but it fulfills everything I've talked about. It has the look and a feel of a Superman comic brought to life. You have a Superman who looks like he flew right off the page. You've got a costume that is faithful and iconic. You've got Christopher Reeve basically cementing how to play Superman, uh, even yeah. though I find his Clark Kent a little over the top. But like his Superman is like universally loved for a good reason. And the influence from that has like pervaded all like everything else, including Man of Steel, and has pervaded into the comics. And like without it, there is no superhero movie genre. Like you have no Superman seventy eight, you have no Batman eighty nine, no Batman Begins, no Dark Knight. Like you have nothing. Yeah. So and there's also like great rewatchability factor too. The Superman yeah. seventy eight has great rewatch value uh, and stuff. So like yeah, I, I would, I would rank that still over over the others even though like my personal favorites might be something like 89 returns and forever. But you know, if I were to go into, you know, the issues why I wouldn't rank those either uh, though, 89 would probably be close in terms of influence and cultural impact and visual representation of comics. Uh, we would be here all day, but anyways, like, yes, does the dark Knight have weightier themes in a more adult tone? Yes. Does it have a better villain than Lex Luthor? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I'm not saying Gene Hackman's better than Heath Ledger in this. Hackman's a great actor, but you know, there are better Lex Luthor <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he's but it's just again, not great. <laughs> it's 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 not great, but it serves its purpose in the movie, and he yeah. is bold at one point. So like it, it's 
but again, I'm looking at it from the perspective of like, is it a great representation of Superman rather than is it a great representation of the supervillain? You know, as opposed to oh you know, well, yeah, that's mo- ultimately more important, right? And that's what's great about what Matt Reeves said about what how, he, how he's going to continue his uh, Reeves verse with the Batman. He's 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 said in interviews that he's uh, they often will uh, become too focused on the villains. Mm-hmm. With with Ledger, it was tough because it was just such a you know phenomenal performance, but. He's. It's just cool that he's aware of that, and he's going to steer away from that as much as possible, and, and keep it about Batman one hundred percent in every one of his movies, which I think is a breath of fresh fucking air, man. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, yeah. I. I mean, I'm still looking, and maybe Brave and the Bold will do this, but I'm still looking for that that fusion of the comic book visuals that we got from like Burton and you know, arguably you know Snyder and Muschietti, with like the deeper characterizations that we would get from you know, say the Matt Reeves stuff, you know, Matt Reeves has presented his version. And I also like that one too. But again, some of the things I said about the dark Knight still apply to the Matt Reeves stuff in terms of like, Hey, like it's really trying hard not to be a comic book movie, uh, even though it is yeah, like, still yeah. rooted in the comics. So I'm looking for that fusion as well, where like we can, you can make it look like a living Batman comic book and have it have these deeper themes and stuff and a focus on Bruce Wayne that we didn't really get in those 90s movies, which is the whole reason why I, I hesitate to, to crown those the greatest, even though, again, I love them. I love all these. It's just, I'm saying, like, if I were to crown the greatest, it's kind of like sometimes how much is that, is, is that your, your personal favorite? How much of that is like a criteria that you have to have? Again, I, have to, I feel like it has to be representative of a great version of that superhero character. Well, this question is always really tough because the way you grade any kind of art, especially movies, mm. is like you have in your mind, you know, the absolute greatest mm-hmm. on like an absolute scale, and then you have your personal favorite. Right. Right. So yeah. I totally. think this should be answered in terms of your personal favorite. I mm-hmm. think that's what, you know, Rambo Roberto wants from us, but you're saying it's a toss up between 89 to forever. That's your ultimate. That's ultimately what you're saying, right? Uh, I would say those are my favorites, but I would say I would crown the best DC movie to be Superman seventy eight. That would be your. He, ab- he's asking on an absolute what, scale, or this would, would be your personal. Yeah, he says, I would favorite. be interested. He said I would be interested to know what you deem the best DC movie. So that's absolute. Okay, absolute scale. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe we'll need to get a, a you know him to respond to us on this, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm kind of basic in this too. I think it's 78 and 89 are like the top mm-hmm. probably. Um, but again, another basic answer is it's going to depend on the day, dude, you <laughs> yeah, know, that what, too. What, what you're in the mood for, you know? Cause mm-hmm. I mean, I had such a palpable response to man of steel when I saw it and it's always going to kind of be there for me. And, uh, even though it has like a lot of problems and, um, like Dark Knight and Begins, you know, those are like really the top. I think. I'm trying to think of anything else. Mm-hmm. I definitely yeah. like. I'm definitely like 89 for me for my money. I mm-hmm. like 89 more than Returns and Forever. Mm-hmm. I like. I like all the you know the 90s ones, you know 89 to Forever at least. Mm-hmm. You know I like them all, but for me 89 is clear it's winner. The top one, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. 
there you go, Rambo. You got our, you got my like twenty minute <laughs> spiel on, on all this. So I hope you're happy. Did you think <laughs> about this a lot before? It's I would. I, I had to because I'm just like, if I'm going to pull this up, I better have like an answer to him rather than just be like, well, it's still a good movie. Like I didn't want to be, I didn't want to end it and have you just be like, well, Ben, you're just being diplomatic. I'm like, no, here's what I actually think of the Dark Knight. I still like it, but like. Here's my dip. Okay, my most diplomatic answer to this though is that we are fucking lucky to have so many good stuff, so many yeah, good yeah, movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, it could be there are certain characters in like from other you know in the Marvel sphere where like if they fucked it up once or or even not even the Marvel sphere, Green Lantern. If you're a Green Lantern fan, I feel sorry for you when it comes to the movies. Yeah. There's only one, and most people hate it. But if you're a Batman fan, you're eating up. Like there's there's so many different interpretations. So. You know, and, and everything has so many great things to offer. So, like, the Dark Knight does certain things best, and Batman 89 does certain things best, and the Batman does certain things best. And, you know, my ideal version is something that just combines everything into one. But even then, that's not necessarily going to top uh, the nostalgia I have for 89 or the fond memories I have, of, you know, or you and I both have of sitting in the theater watching the Dark Knight and seeing this performance from Heath Ledger. Like, yes, the so, the ba- the Batman obviously is the best like attempt at showing the detective side. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's I agree what with it def that. it definitely um, is like number one in that department. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did like the tone of it and everything. It did have some issues, like we've talked about ad nauseum. But um, I'm you know Kevin Smith. He said he said he didn't really like the Batman that much. He needed to see it a few more times. This was his first impressions mm-hmm. before he really like started to like it. He said, or something like that, mm-hmm. but he said, he's still interested in seeing like his Reeves, his second outing. He thinks that Reeves just needed like a second go at this to really nail what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, you know, us fans being overly hopeful but I think maybe there's something to that at the same time. And I think we're most of us are pretty interested in seeing what Reeves will do mm-hmm. with with Clayface or whoever the fuck he's going to do with the next right. one, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, me too on that. But, yeah, again, it's one of those where I was like, well, I do like that one a lot too, but would I crown that one yet? It hasn't, it hasn't really made the same cultural impact at all so far. So far. We'll see. If, you know, if he knocks it out of the park in the second one or, or so. Like, what begins, you could see that there was already cultural impact even before Dark Knight because everyone decided, let's do a dark and gritty reboot. It was, like, the first of the dark yeah. and gritty reboots. So, like, that was still an influence and stuff. But, like, it kind of feels like Batman was really solid. You know, people liked it. Our fan base seemed to like it. Uh, and we're looking forward to the next one. But maybe it's just because the era it was released in, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's had... There's, like, a specialness that it didn't quite have that the others have had when it came to the influence of what comes afterwards. And again, that could just be because it's released in the height of all these superhero movies coming out where like, it doesn't really get an opportunity to have I that chance. I think that's mainly what it is, man. I think and, so too. And then it's being kind of sidelined to Elseworlds midway through. So, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing at all, but it's like, you know, all the, the shakeup and it was shot <laughs> during the middle of COVID, like mm-hmm. the, in the middle of 2020, they're shut down due to the, pandemic and shit midway through. it was just, it's, it's just fucking wild it's fucking yeah. insane it's insane time but uh yeah, yeah there we go rampo roberto i hope you're happy uh <laughs> let us know dark knight sucks no <laughs> let us know if you wanted did you want the absolute kind of best or like our gut like personal favorite like mm-hmm. let us know if you could comment again that'd be yeah interesting 
Yeah, but I think it's been pretty apparent what's what our uh, our favorites have been given what we cover uh, on here yeah, as well. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think you guys kind of already know. Like, I feel like if we give our listing, most people would be like, uh, I figured." <laughs> you know, I don't think there's going to be any shockers. Yeah, uh, for sure. Okay. But who knows? Uh, over to the shoutouts. Okay, man, here we are again. So I want to thank uh, Slight Rebellion off Madison, Meteor P, Michael W, Bruce K, Tita, Sketchcraft, Kyle B, Darren P, Devin, Titbout, Renee V, and JPF, and the people above them and below them and the other supporters as well, everybody up here on the board. Thank you. We're filling up the board quite nicely. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, everybody, for uh, staying with us uh, after all these years. And, uh, well, we've told you about our friends, and we'd like you to do us a favor. We want you to tell all your friends about it. Indeed! <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network.